I'm Alex Mosed, and welcome to Winner Take All. The stream lives on, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. We have had to move the studio due to uh, the problems right now going on with coronavirus, and we've moved out of New York City to Greenwich, Connecticut. And so uh, thanks to everyone on the team. Thankfully, all of us are safe and okay. I hope everyone watching is safe, okay, has supplies, uh, and is working through these difficult times. Obviously, coronavirus is top of mind, uh, and that's where we're going to start the show. You know, the show is about how these traditional incumbents and large tech monopolies interact with one another. So the first topic here is uh, how is big tech, how are large tech monopolies getting involved and helping uh, with the various coronavirus efforts taking place? So um, there's kind of been a, a task force of, of, of the big tech companies, Facebook and Google and Microsoft uh, and Amazon that have been meeting regularly with the White House. And one of the things particularly that the Facebook, Google and Twitter have been doing is to try and take down uh, false information and help promote appropriate information, help to educate people about um, how to stay safe, what to do, what not to do. There's, a, I guess, a bug on Facebook recently where they were taking down good content and promoting bad content. Um, but at least they're working through it and they're trying and, and you know, they're working kind of iteratively through this process to help on the content side of things, right? Other examples of big tech helping is what uh, Verily is doing here. So Verily launched this site. It's part of Project Baseline. Project Baseline is actually focused on running uh, basically clinical trial tests with Big Pharma. But the side branch of Verily, Verily is a spin out from Google. It's uh, their pharma loonshot company uh, or moonshot company. And so what they've done here with this side site is to try and help connect people to go and find where they could take a test to be tested for coronavirus. This is just operating in San Francisco, and I think maybe now it's expanded to another part of Northern California, so it's not everywhere. But they launched this site in the past few days. It went down almost immediately because it was inundated with traffic and demand, and they weren't able to connect uh, enough people. But now they've put up just a few questions here that you can click through on a survey, and if it seems like you're appropriate to be screened, they can then help connect you to a place where you can actually get a coronavirus test. Uh, so if you go to projectbaseline.com, you can navigate this. If you go to verily.com, you'll be able to navigate to this and find this site and interact with it. Another example of this is uh, Amazon. So Amazon is now trying to hire 100,000 people, 100,000 warehouse workers, Amid the influx of demand that they have uh, due to the coronavirus, they um, have also limited what they're actually going to be selling. So, or not selling, but if you're a third-party seller and you can, you know, you can store products in an Amazon warehouse for the Prime program, they're now going to be limiting the type of products that you can now put into an Amazon warehouse. You can still sell other products, but Amazon's not going to be focused on solving for fulfillment. Or what they call non-essential items, so only essential items, so um, food, medical supplies, other kinds of very fundamental, basic home supplies. Those are really going to be the only products that Amazon is now really focusing on from a fulfillment, from a fulfilled by Amazon perspective, 
and they're trying to add a lot of labor um, during this period to handle the the influx of demand. Um, so we see that ramping up. We also see that um, in in the world of food delivery, that you have now um, uh, Uber Eats, Grubhub, and DoorDash are now doing what they call contactless food delivery. Basically, what they're saying is um, we're waiving fees on food delivery. So they've been partnering with a lot of mayors and they've been working with state governments to waive fees on food delivery. As we know, many restaurants have been closed down uh, or at least you, you can't dine in at restaurants. And the restaurants are basically fully dependent on takeout if they are open. The food delivery platforms have been waiving fees to the customer uh, they've been doing this many times in partnership with the with the local either uh, city or state governments, I think helping to subsidize some of the delivery fees um, as a result of this. Those are still operating. And now they're also after offering contactless delivery. So they'll leave the food for you outside the door. They'll notify you that the food is there. You don't even need to meet the delivery person uh, when accepting that delivery. So you're seeing big tech try to help out you know, in a few different areas uh, along the spectrum here. We're going to talk about uh, Teladoc and, and telemedicine in a second. We kind of covered it briefly with Verily, but we're starting to see big tech telemedicine also as a very real dynamic that the government is aggressively pushing to try and aid in, um, you know, in, in helping out during this period of time. The only public company, Teladoc, in Platt, the only public health-related platform company is Teladoc, but there are a variety of other telemedicine tech startups that are also seeing a huge surplus in demand to get remote screening or remote calls with a nurse or a nurse practitioner or a doctor. Say, hey, I'm not feeling so well. What should I do? You can do live virtual um, telemedicine screens to get help in that area. So those are some of the areas we're seeing big tech help with corona. Uh, at the same time, we are seeing government want to participate. But we're also seeing government overreach. Uh, and in one of the areas that, that we've seen them overreach is in their task force meetings with, in particular, Apple and Google. Uh, this Wall Street Journal article that just came out yesterday talks about what they want to do with looking at location data and what China did with location data. So if... If China knows, I think Taiwan did this as well, uh, that people here. So in China, telecommunication companies helped the government track and contact people who had traveled through the Hubei province. That's where Wuhan is, I think. Um, during the early days of the virus, location data was funneled to China's National Health Commission and other agencies, allowing them to recreate steps of virus carriers and people that they may have encountered and issue warnings via social media. The government's talking to Facebook, Google, Apple also about getting this information. And it says, you know, the government could legally request this from telecom carriers, but, but that needs to be anonymized. So here's the problem. And we saw this with Apple and the iPhone when the FBI was requesting to get act, you know, for, hey, Apple, unlock this phone for us. We want to get into this iPhone. Uh, Apple correctly refused to open that iPhone because once Apple opens up that capability to the government, then naturally that capability, even if it might've been appropriate in that instance, that capability is going to be taken advantage of. And uh, there's countless stories and precedent that, that backs that up, right? Once you kind of open the door to the government, they're only going to want more and more and more 
uh, data and access and control. So rightly so, Apple did not open up that door. And there's actually plenty of other hackers that were all already able to break into the iPhone for the FBI. We're seeing this here where would a Google, would an Apple open up that data, that location data to the government under this pretense? But then in the future, it's absolutely going to be taken advantage of uh, in the future. So this, they did this in China. Yes, it helped. But again, this is an overreach of the government um, making requests of these tech companies. Let's let's look at this from a different direction. If instead it's not the government asking our tech companies for data about our our private citizens to give that data to the government, what if you flip the script and instead you say, okay, I'm Apple, I'm Google, I'm Facebook. Hey, government, why don't you give me the data on what are all the hotspots, what are all the hot locations, and um, I will then make an app for my users that they can opt into, that they can voluntarily participate in, and then they can go into this app, they can let the app diagnose my location history, and then the app will say, hey, Alex, you know, you were in the equivalent of Wuhan in, in the United States. I don't know. You know, maybe that's New York. New York has a lot of cases. You were in these blocks in New York City. Therefore, you have an increased risk of uh, potentially, you know, having the virus and you should take these precautions or you could contact, you know, your authorities or whatever it may be. That's not the way the conversation went. Instead, it's saying, hey, why don't you give it looks like Palantir or the government uh, Palantir works with the government, you know, give all this information about your users to the government and then the government will go do this. Problem is the government will get all this information. It'll probably take them two or three months to even process the thing in the first place. And, you know, it won't actually even be rolled out efficiently. Instead, we've seen tech companies like uh, Verily with the website earlier, roll out websites, roll out capabilities in in literally days. Um, and how are we enabling the tech companies? How is that public-private partnership working in the other direction, as opposed to the the data from the private companies going to the government, how can the government open up and give data to the private companies? And the private companies can then build tools and apps and software and capabilities to educate and inform their users. That's a much better flow of information. It'll actually result in a much more effective and timely execution. And it'll actually work better than having that execution be put on the government uh, and instead just taken advantage of down the road. Um, so that's an area of overreach that we're seeing. Uh, so far, it does not seem like Apple or Google or the tech companies have actually agreed to give this data over, but it is an ongoing conversation. Um, so let's talk about uh, what stocks to look at. We've had a number of people say, oh, well, you know, what should we do? Um, and, and what stocks are faring well or faring worse? So there's a couple of parts to this. I think a lot of people have been saying, okay, everyone is, uh, you know, shelter in place. It's basically a quarantine, fancy words for quarantine. Everyone's working from home. What do you use for remote work? Um, there's, uh, there's VMware. VMware does a bunch of different things. You know, part of what they do is they let you kind of remote uh, vir virtual uh, control into your computer. VMware is not in plat because they don't have enough platform revenue. They have a lot of SaaS revenue. They have some platform dynamics, but overall, the company doesn't fit the platform criteria. Another similar company, but European company, is called TeamViewer. It's uh, their ticker is TMV.de. Uh, they offer 
more specifically, this capability to remote in control, control your computer, you know, uh, they're used by a lot of IT tech support companies that, you know, you need help to communicate or, or get tech support with your computer. They have that communication platform dynamic. They have network effects. It's a $5 billion market cap. Um, and uh, based out of Europe, if you look at their stock over the past month, it's down, but it's really down, not down by that much, by maybe, you know, maybe 15% or so. If you look at the past month, um, relative to everything else, it's actually doing somewhat well. It's up today 3%. So you're actually seeing a lot more usage of these remote work things. Um, another one is Slack, which their ticker is work, but they've been hit pretty hard. Um, it's a newer company. So TeamViewer has been around for much longer. Um, from where Slack IPO'd at to where they're at today, they IPO'd at about 37 bucks. It's at 18 bucks. They've taken a big hit. Um, come end of Feb, going into March, they were a little under 30 bucks. They're now at 18. You've seen a lot of that sh- get shaved off. They were down 10% today. So conceptually, it would make sense that Slack would be up because everyone's remote working. Everyone needs to be on Slack. But what you're seeing is you're seeing, um, these companies from a stock point actually not not benefit as much as you might think from a from a conceptual standpoint. So what is working? Um, let's look at Teladoc. Teladoc, I mentioned earlier, uh, they have been on a tear over the past few months. So Teladoc is the only healthcare platform in Plat. They are all about telemedicine services. It's literally the whole company. It's now a $10 billion market cap company. Um, but it was much lower, right? They were at about 70, 75 bucks a share um, going into the end of 2019. So they're at $137 a share now. Just today, they were up uh, about 16%. So this stock has been going up and down a lot. If you look at the past month, lots of peaks and valleys in here, but generally the trend has been upward, which is rare. Uh, But it makes sense, right? With the huge push on telemedicine, a lot of the telemedicine platforms are actually still private. They're not public companies. They're not publicly traded. And so uh, you can't get involved with them in the equities market. So we've seen Teladoc be, be faring very, very well for itself. Is it high? Is it low? I, I couldn't tell you, um, you know, what the future holds. I don't think anyone can predict for you exactly what the future holds. But from a telemedicine platform company stock, this is really the only one out there. What else has been doing well? So one of our analysts has put together some really interesting information. So this is a one-month ETF performance analysis. These numbers ended March 9th. So we, we finished this analysis uh, looking at the kind of the end of last week here. But you can kind of see how Platt was comparing over the month prior. So from Feb 10 through March 9th. Um, Platt is this blue line down 14% versus the S&P down 18%, QQQ, that's the NASDAQ 100 down about 17%. Um, so in that month, I haven't updated it for this week yet, but, but stay tuned. Uh, for that month, Platt was able to fare better than the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100 and, and other kind of tech indices. Uh, we'll see if, if that holds true or not. Another interesting thing is looking at product marketplaces. So the other company that comes to mind is Amazon. When we look at how Amazon's performed, 
it actually has performed pretty well compared to the rest of the market. I mean, I get, you know, that makes sense, right? They're getting huge demand increases. They're hiring 100,000 temporary workers. Um, but if we take a step back and we look at kind of the sector, this is looking at different platform types. So in the book, we identify about eight types of platform business models, product marketplaces being one of those. So these gray lines here, if I zoom in, so this this gray line, 113%, this is looking at the past three years performance, again, through March 9th, past three years performance of product marketplaces. Other product marketplaces in Platt would be like Farfetch for luxury designer goods uh, and things of that sort. So there are, there are other product marketplaces in Platt that this is looking at, Amazon being one of those. Another one is Mercado Libre, which I'm going to talk about more in a second. Uh, that's like the Amazon of Brazil and South America. But over the past three years, uh, they've performed fantastically well at 113% as a sector, as a product marketplace sector, compared to the S&P 500 at 2% uh, and the NASDAQ 100 at 38%. Again, um, now these blue and orange lines, the blue line here, down 26% in the past month. So again, that's looking at other platforms besides just Amazon, other product marketplaces besides just Amazon. And the orange is looking at the past year down 15%. We can kind of see product marketplaces as a sector uh, performing better than the rest of the market. Comparing that with the S&P 500 here down 29% and over the past year down 15%. NASDAQ 100 down 28% and uh, down 5% over the year. Actually, I think these numbers are through March 16th. Uh, this is actually through Monday of this past week. That's why they're a little bit different than the other slide, which is on March 9th. So through March 16th, the, that's what these one-month performance numbers are looking at. Um, the other interesting thing here is that service marketplaces have actually performed the worst over the past month. That's the blue. Down 29% over the past month and actually down 31% over the past year. Um, what is the service marketplace? Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, it's not public yet, but these are marketplaces that have services being provided. Um, Grubhub would be a service that's being provided. When you take a step back and you think about it and you say, oh, well, service marketplaces where there's a human on the other side that needs to deliver that service, I could understand why over the past month, Maybe those, mar those types of platforms have been hit worse than marketplaces for products, right? There's much more, um, say, risk or, or downward pressure on both demand and supply uh, in a service marketplace as compared to a product marketplace, for example. So that was an interesting insight that I thought came from this, looking at service marketplaces versus product marketplaces. We have seen Uber and Lyft and Grubhub, to that matter, just get crushed, despite, despite the fact that food delivery is basically the only mechanism to get food, uh, unless you're going to the grocery store or using Instacart or getting your groceries delivered to you, right? But you can't go to the restaurants anymore. And despite all of that, you've still seen uh, food delivery. You know, Uber, Uber Eats is a, is a material part of uh, Uber's business. Grubhub today down 12%. I mean, 
these companies have just, it, it was at 60 bucks a share six months ago. It now just closed at about 35, 36 bucks a share. These companies have been getting crushed. You know, honestly, to me, that doesn't make much sense. Um, it's actually, you know, I'm struggling to understand how they're getting crushed that aggressively. Then again, there doesn't need to be a strong rationale because there are just, just these massive sell-offs. So it's hard to think to bring whatever rationale or logic that you have on the stock and expect that that gets, um, that that gets represented on, on what's actually happening with the stock price because there's so much stuff going on and, and, and you just can't predict it all. The other thing to take into account here on platform stocks that can fare better than others is the strength of the balance sheet. And we'd spoken about this before. We covered uh, Ray Dalio's LinkedIn post from a couple of weeks ago where he talks about really needing, you know, you're, where you're going to see over the next few months, you're going to see companies with stronger balance sheets be able to outperform companies with weaker balance sheets as they come under this crazy, um, you know, short pressure, shorting pressure, sell-off pressure. Uh, what is that balance sheet and how is that going to uh, survive? Other analysts have talked about, do you have, you know, at no more than 3x your EBITDA in debt? Um, and different ratios that we've seen in past recessions and sell-offs to to help perform. Now, um, that I think is the other thing on Uber and Lyft is they're not profitable. So companies that are not profitable, you literally don't have any EBITDA. You're seeing those companies get um, even more pressure against them than the companies that are even, say, smaller. They don't have as good of a balance sheet, but at least they're profitable. Uh, for the platforms that are that are that have a much stronger balance sheet, we also analyze this performance, and um, you can see here again. You can see your Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Alibaba, Facebook, and then you have Visa, Mastercard, Salesforce, PayPal. Here you can kind of see their performance, um, but you still see Facebook down thirty one percent. This was as as of March sixteenth. You can still see. Amex down 36%, um, Uber down 53%, Booking.com down 32%. These companies have strong balance sheets. They're all profitable except for Uber. Um, but you can still see them over-indexing in losses over the past month at 31%, at 36%, at 32% um, than, uh, than the rest of the cohort. For Booking.com and travel, you know, that makes sense. The, the, one of the smaller market cap travel platform companies, um, that I may or may not have been shorting would be Yelp and TripAdvisor. The kind of Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter contingent, you've seen concerns that their advertising revenues are going way down because no one wants, no one, none of the advertisers have, have money to continue to spend on ad budgets. We actually haven't seen that necessarily be true, uh, from early reporting. Again, no, nothing official. But from other third-party uh, sources, we haven't seen that necessarily be true. We just covered on the show um, about how TikTok's, or sorry, Snapchat's biggest advertiser is TikTok. I think that's a horrible business decision for Snapchat. Uh, but you're still seeing a lot of advertising revenue uh, for the content and social networking-related platforms. So the weaker platforms, again, I would say, are platforms with. Smaller balance sheet. These are companies with single-digit billion-dollar market caps um, or less that are in industries that are affect just 
common sense affected travel. You've seen the Zillow and Redfin uh, real estate platforms get hammered. I think Zillow is down over 20% today. Redfin hammered. The car marketplaces also vulnerable. They haven't actually gone down as much as the real estate platforms, but I think car marketplaces also not in a good place. Also with smaller balance sheets uh, than um, than some of the other platform categories. And then um, travel. So travel, cars, service marketplaces. Uh, let's say service marketplaces that are not profitable also in, in a lot of hot water. And uh, real estate are a few areas that that I would be very wary about these days. Um, last stock that actually has done pretty well is Jobs. Jobs is a Chinese recruiting marketplace. And they just came out with their earnings uh, two days ago. Uh, and they actually did very well. Well, relatively. I would have thought it would have been much worse for Jobs. Now, these were unaudited results. So I don't know if these change in a few weeks, but net revenues increased 1.3% over Q4 of 2018 and revenue growth. Their recruitment services decreased 5%. Other human services related revenues uh, increased 10%. So I don't know what that's in reference to, but the core business, the recruitment services decreased 5% and they were still profitable. I think that's the key thing here but they had basically 50% the profits that they had at this time last year. Um, so they had some growth and they're still profitable. The stock went way up as a result of that. It was up 7% today. It was up maybe another 10% or so the day prior, probably up around 15% over the past two days since coming out this job result or since coming out their earnings result, which is interesting. Now, this is looking at Q4. So maybe this is just a very late earnings release by them. And, um, you know, it's not really factoring in what happened to, say, in in the month of January in China to see what the slowdown from coronavirus. These numbers were through December 31st. So maybe we haven't really kind of seen the full impact here uh, based upon this earnings result. But it's one of the more recent earnings results. Tencent just released their earnings but again, those were also looking at a similar period. There is a lot of high expectations for Tencent on their earnings release because people are working from home. And so gaming and, and digital revenue should increase. Their stock was down down after releasing earnings. Um, their stock was up going into the earnings release based upon hopeful expectations and then was down after the fact. So it's still very hard to gauge. We still don't really have much financial data coming out of public companies about the impact of coronavirus on their business operations. I think these are just a couple of platform companies that had very late earnings releases. Uh, and I think the real impact in China and certainly in the United States or in Europe, it's really going to hit smack dab in Q1. And obviously, there'll still be effects of this going into Q2. Um, so we'll continue to track that and keep you up to date on that front. So we've spoken in the past about startups that are hurting. We've spoken about um, the Sequoia, the Sequoia letter to all of their portfolio companies that coronavirus is the black swan of 2020, and they better get things into gear. We critiqued Sequoia's letter because what you see as a response in the public markets is you see a lot of bad news, 
that coronavirus is literally changing life as we know it, having a huge impact on the economy. Trump today said that the unemployment rate could go up to as high as 20%. Stocks really fell after he said that. And um, it's going to have a major impact, not just on the economy, but on life as we know it. And there's going to be many lasting impacts of, of what this does to society and just how we operate. As a result of that bad news, we see the government and we see the Fed trying to take action to support equities, to support the markets, to have a stimulus package, to cut interest rates. And what does that do? It helps these liquid markets. It helps um, the stock markets, although the stock markets have been crashing. But the illiquid markets, you don't have really as much data to see what's happening in the illiquid markets. But I can guarantee you that what is happening in the illiquid markets is way worse than the liquid markets. Because the mechanisms that the federal government and the Fed have to help revitalize the economy those things help prop up the liquid markets. The illiquid markets, like real estate, like investments in tech startups, are getting hit much harder and will be much harder to bounce back than liquid markets. We saw this in the 08 and 09 crisis. Also, Ray Dalio and uh, Robert Smith and um, Mike Milken at the Milken Conference in 2019 discussed that when we saw the fallout from the 0809 collapse was all of the quantitative easing, the stimulus, all of these things helped the stock market bounce back, right? And there's a report a few years ago that said 40% of Americans can't come up with $400 in a pinch. Horrible fact, right? And what they said is that the majority of Americans, uh, middle-class America, would put their savings into their house, into real estate, into illiquid markets. And when you look at the relative performance of that 10-year stretch, so from 0809 till 2018, 2019, this conference was last year, that 10-year stretch, and you look at the performance of, yes, the stock market crashed in 0809 and 10, but then it rebounded. And you compare that to the rebound of the real estate market, and it doesn't even compare. And in markets that have less demand, if you're not living in a metropolitan area where those real estate markets are a little bit more liquid, then it's actually even worse in terms of the lack of rebound in these illiquid markets like real estate. So it's going to be very tough and it's going to be very tough for tech startups. And so what this letter from Sequoia did not say is, hey, we're raising additional money or, hey, we have a bunch of money that is going to be made available or, hey, we're working with Silicon Valley Bank to open up additional lines and additional resources or additional working capital for our portfolio of tech startups in these trying times. Um, there's another article here from The Information just yesterday saying the virus begins separating strong startups from weak. We're already seeing tech startups go out of business because of the coronavirus, right? So large traditional businesses that have access to public markets, that have access to debt markets, it's going to be a very difficult time. But many of them, the large majority of them, hopefully and most likely will be able to get through this. It's a very different scenario for tech startups. Uh, so we're seeing now multiple tech startups go out of business. Um, they were obviously having issues before coronavirus came along. But it's the last nail in the coffin 
that is really going to take out a lot of the tech startups that don't have strong balance sheets that were trying to raise around a capital going into this disaster. And all of that's really being put on hold. A lot of the VCs are being now very reticent to deploy capital, to go through on funding rounds. Valuations are being changed, right? Because this is going to change the dynamic for a tech startup. If you're a tech startup, you're hoping to close these big deals. Those big deals just got put on hold. You were hoping to get that line of credit. You were hoping to um, you know, uh, make advances in your business. Those things just got delayed. What is that going to do to your valuation? You had all these account receivable from these clients. Well, half of them can't pay now. What are you going to do? And so it's what this is doing is it's throwing valuations of tech startups completely into flux. What are the multiples that the market is going to pay? Oh, what is the market's ability to buy these companies, right? Maybe these companies now are going to need to stay private for a much longer time, which means if they're not profitable or they're much farther away from break even, oh boy, you know, what does that do to their ability to have an exit? And is that exit going to be at the same multiple that we thought it was going to be? All of this is now being reanalyzed, which is bad news for tech startups that are trying to raise funding rounds. Yikes. And you can't go public. Uh, there was rumors. There was rumors that um, Goldman Sachs is, was representing DoorDash to go public at late February. Goldman Sachs just loves to find themselves in in precarious representations of of tech startups looking to go public. Here, look at this one: DoorDash preps for IPO, confidentially files documents with SEC. This was Feb twenty seven. Company was valued around $13 billion in November. Goldman Sachs was engaging with them to as the underwriter for its IPO. Yeah, this thing's on ice. It's not going anywhere. Um, so now what is DoorDash going to do, right? What is Postmates going to do that had also kind of confidentially filed to go public? It's a very tough time. The good news is if you are a large traditional enterprise and you were looking at how could I go build, buy, build, acquire, invest, partner, with these tech startups, you actually just got a tremendous amount of additional leverage because these tech startups don't have many options at this point. Their business is slowing down. Maybe it's nothing wrong with the business. It's just the times that we're in right now. And this is going to be an extended period of time like this. And their primary source of capital, VCs, are putting the brakes on deploying that capital. So uh, this actually puts a lot of cards in the hands of large traditional enterprises to, to wield that leverage, to wield that balance sheet leverage with tech startups that are trying to make it through these, these difficult times. Last topic here on large traditional businesses, you know, wielding that uh, leverage with tech startups, Q4 of 2017. Hello, Alfred. It's like a concierge for services in the home. Did a deal with Related. Related is one of the biggest uh, luxury residential real estate rental companies. Um, so they have a bunch of rental units. They're in New York. They're in a number of different cities. And uh, so Related and Hello Alfred had a deal where now Hello Alfred's going to get access to um, all of the tenants and all of the renters in Related buildings in New York City. And this was a very big deal for Hello Alfred. Unconfirmed, but my sources, my little birdies had said at the time that Hello Alfred was running out of money. They were trying to raise capital. They weren't able to raise capital. And so this deal 
saved Hello Alfred. Without this deal to help validate Hello Alfred's business model, I think pretty much they were going to go out of business. Related to this deal, they said, hey, we're going to now package this offering to all of our renters uh, in New York City. We want two years of exclusivity with Hello Alfred, so you can't go work with any other of our competitors in New York City. We can go to other cities and, and work with our competitors and offer this service to uh, to your tenants, to your renters in the building. Because Hello Alfred was able to cement this business model by going to the landlord and doing a deal for the whole building, it helps with their unit economics a great deal, right? If you have to go to one apartment building by apartment building, uh, and spread this out, it just really hurt the economics of the business. But if you can service a number of of consumers in one building, it really helps with the logistics and the economics of the business. So they cemented this deal, and then somewhat shortly thereafter, they raised a $40 million round announced in uh, May of 2018. But it had closed, I think, or they had at least gotten their lead um, shortly after getting the related thing inked in Q1 of 2018. What Related brought to the table, and you can see here the investors in that Series B, right? Related's not on the list. What Related helped to do was, yes, they helped to bring services. They helped to maybe bring some new revenue generating services uh, to their customers so that they can increase their revenue per customer, per renter in the building. They can also increase the satisfaction of renters in their building. But they basically saved the company, Hello Alfred, at the same time. And so what we see is these large traditional enterprises not understanding the amount of value that they're bringing to these tech startups. The tech startups have the technology, but the problem is the technology is actually commoditized. The value is in the network and the value is in the ecosystem. Basically, what I'm saying is scale. They need scale. Large traditional enterprises, like Related, have scale. And so these businesses, not only should they be doing a partnership, but they should be getting much more than just exclusivity. We saw this with McDonald's, where McDonald's basically helped build Uber Eats' entire international business on its back. They're not getting equity. They're not getting the kind of conditions from these tech startups. They have the leverage to command. And so I think this was a a nice single. Maybe it was a double for Related. But they could have gotten much more for what they were bringing to the table to not, to, to not only help Related's customers, their renters, but basically validate Hello Alfred's entire business model to help them basically go raise this entire this $40 million round of capital, which when you look at their prior rounds of financing, this was a pretty big deal. Collectively, they've only raised $52 million. So this really helped put them on the map. And Related should have gotten equity or they shouldn't have gotten a lot more uh, for the value that they were bringing to, in this case, Hello Alfred. So that's it for us today on Winner Take All. Thank you very much for joining us. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll all get through this together and I will talk to you soon.